0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.
1: Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, a special edition today. I'm John Manuel, live from Durham. Nothing special about me being on the podcast, but through the wonders of technology that we don't use enough, Jim Cowles checks in on the Baseball America podcast today. Live from an uh, undisclosed location near Baha'i headquarters in uh, Chicago, Illinois. I'm sorry, in Land, Jim. I couldn't remember the word Winneka" for a minute, so that's why I gave you that ridiculous inter- introduction. But welcome back into the podcast. How are you doing? Uh, I'm, doing I'm doing well. Uh,
0: much like you, I'm in the midst. Of, uh, I'm, I'm bunkered down uh, in the draft bunker. and uh, I've been fighting a cold, but I think after a week I'm finally about to
1: get rid of my cold. So things are looking up. Well, we're going to try to make this work uh, podcast-wise and so much to talk about on the draft, Jim. We do our um, remind our listeners that you can check in with us and check in on all the updates on Baseball America by following us on Twitter. Uh, go to twitter.com backslash baseballamerica. We're close to a 1,000 people following us on Twitter right now, so we thank everybody for doing that. Uh, you can always send us a question at podcast at baseballamerica.com. I've got a draft question or two that we'll get to in the inbox And then we'll just go ahead and get right into the draft talk, Jim. And it doesn't seem, from all my draft calls in the Southeast, yours in the Midwest, that anything has really changed significantly at the top. This draft is still Steven Strasburg and his orchestra, correct? I mean, he's still way out in front of the rest of the pack.
0: Yeah, it seems like we keep saying the same things, John, over and over when we're trying to line these guys up. I mean, Strasburg is... You know, head and shoulders, number one, you know, probably the biggest gap between number one and number two that anybody can remember in recent years. And, you know, you can argue he might be the best prospect in the draft era, you know, certainly the most hyped with all the the different, you know, forms of media we have today. And And I really think, I mean, if we... Nobody's ever going to show us their their actual prep list at this point, this close to the draft. But if I, I bet, if we got five teams and we, we said here, give us who, you know who you think should go in the first round, I, I don't think those five lists, the order of the players on there would look anything. You know, I think they would look like five entirely
1: different lists. There's just no consensus. I think that was the great quote we got earlier this week was uh, the sky director who said, "I won't laugh at your list if you don't laugh at mine." And yeah, no, I think it's going to be one. You
0: know, I don't think there'll be laughter, but I guarantee you, when teams are, as this draft unfolds, especially in the first round, and everybody's in their their conference rooms, you know, with their draft board, you're going to have teams, you know, got teams picking people, you know, maybe even the top ten that some clubs didn't have as as first round picks, and I think there's going to be a lot of head shaking. It's, you know, Roy Clark of the Braves always has a line where he says the only thing he knows about the draft is that when it's done, there's 30 scouting directors telling 30 general managers. They just had the best draft in baseball because they, you know, got the guy who's at the top of their list every time they picked. And I think this year, you know, people, you know, most clubs are going to get a higher percentage of, of players off their top, you know, say hundred prospect list because those lists are just so different for each club.
1: I think you're right. I think more, more and more teams are going to say, "Wow, we got everybody we wanted." I also think a draft that's this wide open leads to a lot of workout picks, a lot of guys who come in, and if they work a guy out really well at their big league park the week before the draft, uh, they're going to fall in love with that player. We saw that happen last year in the supplemental round with the Brewers and the Astros, where guys like Evan Fredrickson and Jordan Lyles, who weren't consensus supplemental picks, both win that round. I think this year, Jim, you could see some guys who are first-rounders who are workout guys. I mean, again, guys that a team... May have had as a second round a first to third talent coming in, but who went in that first round based on the workout where the general manager, the scouting director, the cross checkers all feel comfortable about him don't you think that this, this draft lends itself to workout workouts being even more important than usual
0: I do and, and nobody really seems to have much of a feel for you know whether this is going to be back to 2007 where teams were reluctant to go over slot because MLB was really trying to clamp them down and and make sure people follow bonus recommendations. Or 2008, where MLB told teams, you know, don't go berserk, but if you want to sign guys, sign them, because they didn't want uh, just a handful of teams crowling, you know, a bunch of extra talent. I think this year, if you have a guy you like, and he's willing to sign quick for slot money in this economy, where teams you know, didn't spend heavily on the free agent market in the offseason, I think that's going to be a factor, too. If, if you have a, you know, just using Jordan Lyles as an example again, a guy who wasn't on our top 200 list last year, but has pitched well in pro ball. Since the Astros made him a sandwich pick, he looked great in a workout for the Astros. They knew he was going to sign for slot because nobody, you know, thought he was necessarily going to go that high. I think that makes those guys more attractive, too.
1: I agree. I uh, wish I hadn't just sent that email, but I agree with you completely. So, uh It's the Baseball America podcast. Uh, John Manuel and Jim Callis here with you. Jim, uh, one of the storylines of this draft has been who goes second after Stephen Strasburg. Everyone knows Stephen Strasburg is going one. Even Jim Bowden knows. That just tells you just how obvious it is that even Jim Bowden couldn't screw that pick up if he were still in charge of the Nationals. But uh, who goes second? uh, That's been the huge question. I know part of uh, the issue for me on that has been proximity to Dustin Ackley and Alex White over in North Carolina. I think it's very arguable that Alex White is the best pitcher not named Steven Strasburg in this draft. I'm not saying he is, but it's arguable. And it's very arguable that Dustin Ackley is the best hitter in this draft. In fact, I I think that's almost inarguable right now. I think he's the best pure hitter in this draft. But neither of those guys have 100% staked their claim to being that number two guy. And now this week, we're going to have two more guys throw their hats in that ring as the independent league season's Start to get going, and Tanner Shepherds, who signed with the St. Paul Saints, and Aaron Crow, who signed with—correct me—who, whose Crow signed with the Fort Worth Cats? He signed Cats. with the Fort Worth Cats, and he actually signed with them before the hey, last year.
0: Deadline last year is kind of a—I don't know if it was a bargaining tactic designed to show that Aaron was ready to enter pro ball, even if the Nationals, you know, didn't think he was going to take their their bonus demands. So then they're both scheduled to pitch in exhibition games on Monday for their clubs.
1: And that really, I mean, that just opens everything up. These were, this is a, this is this year's draft, the strength of the draft. If you had to name one strength this year, you'd say college pitching. And these were the number two and number three college pitchers in last year's draft. Arguably, Jim, that last year's draft was so much stronger, you would think that they would almost be in better shape to go into this year's draft. But then I thought maybe they might get lost in the shuffle of all the college pitchers this year, but. Those two guys both, it seems like, have to be in play for Seattle at two, San Diego at three, don't they? I mean, if they come out throwing like they're capable of pitching, uh those two guys are both gonna be in that mix uh from number two on, don't you think? I do, and I'm um, gonna get back to your, your your North Carolina comment real quick.
0: I agree with you that Dustin Ackley is the best hitter in the draft. I think he's got more than enough power if he sticks at first and I mean I think at worst the guy's a corner outfielder and maybe even a center fielder. Um, and that, you know, if you twist my arm today and ask me who I'd pick number two. I think I might take Dustin Ackley number two right now. I, I was just talking to a scouting director uh, before I came, I jumped on here with you, and I said, you know, he, he's with a team that's not going to pick high, but I said, if you had the number two pick today and signability wasn't a factor, who would you pick? And he he, hemmed and hawed and had the deep sigh that all the scouting directors have when you ask them that question because there's an obvious guy. And he said, right now for him it might be Alex White, but uh, you know I think in a way this is set up very nicely for for Aaron Crow and Tanner Shepherds because you know, we keep you know working on a blog post that'll be up on our our draft blog, you know, shortly after this podcast goes up. And I was just saying, the way I was leading it was saying that, you know, people keep waiting for somebody to step forward as a number two prospect. And, you know, now two more candidates are ready to, you know, take their chances at doing so. Um, you know, the way that the independent season, you know, the season doesn't start in the American Association until May 14th. The exhibition, back, ah, can't speak. the exhibition season starts on Monday. And what it does is, you know, scouts have been running around, kind of not real thrilled with everything they've been seeing. Now here are two guys they can take a fresh look at. And, you know, we've seen guys in the past with independent leagues. We've seen Max Scherzer. We've seen Luke Hochevar. You know, two guys right there who went to Indy Ball. Didn't even necessarily light it up. Just looked good. You know, looked close to what they'd been in the previous draft and got big money. Hochevar went number one overall in his draft. Whereas Scherzer signed with the Diamondbacks who drafted the year before for a lot more money than he probably would have gotten had he re-entered the draft. And, you know, it's a great showcase. You're pitching against Wood Bats. You know, you're not going to be... Pitching a complete game for your college team and maybe throwing 130 pitches, you know, every week, you're going to see these guys fresh, and it just sets up very nicely for these guys to look very, very good.
1: Yeah, I really think, uh, you know, holdouts for the most part don't seem to help very many hitters, but it really doesn't seem to affect pitchers that significantly. I'm sure there are examples, but I can think of a lot of big name examples. Jared Weaver's another one of guys who hold out or go pitch an indie ball, one or the other. And it doesn't seem to affect them. And for Tanner Shepherds, uh, you know, on the negative side, he missed the national championship run. Uh, maybe he wouldn't. Maybe, maybe Fresno State would not have made a national championship run. But I bet you he got a ring, you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that he got a ring. Uh, well, much to my chagrin as a University of Georgia
0: alum, I'm, I'm sure he did.
1: And much to my chagrin as a North Carolina alum, he, he, he beat North Carolina, too. Don't forget, he eliminated our two. That's right. He eliminated our, uh, Fresno State eliminated both of our alma maters in succession. Uh, we have no Fresno State alumni on the staff this year, but uh, but yeah, I mean, so he's going to get a ring for that, but he didn't get to pitch in the Caldwell series, but he's going to get paid if he stays healthy. I think the the people who might be happiest about this development are Greg Gensky, uh, you know, his agent, and the Hendricks brothers, the Crow, Aaron Crow's agent. Uh, getting back to Dustin Ackley really quick, Jim, you know, I, Dustin Ackley to me is a classic case of a guy who doesn't profile, but that's Sometimes that really hurts a player. For him, I almost think it's a strength. He's such a unique player. Uh, that's why he doesn't profile. Unique. You know, Wade Boggs didn't profile. You know, uh, Tony Gwynn did not profile. Maybe early, early, early in his career when he stole a lot of bases. But still, he was playing right field. He didn't profile. Dustin Ackley doesn't profile. But Dustin Ackley is the best hitter in this draft. He has at least 60 speed, maybe 70 speed. It's not 80 speed. But it's probably 70 speed, and it plays. Uh, he stole 19 bases last year. He's stolen uh, 39 in his career. He draws a lot of walks. His power is up this year. I just think you know, he's a really good defensive first baseman. I guess the real question is, I wonder if he suffers in comparison to last year's crop of first baseman, where there were so many guys who had big-time power. Because To me, the only comparisons I can think of are he's either a Mark Grace with really good speed, And that'd be a great career. Uh, Or I really do think there's an outside chance that he's a multi-time batting champion winner along the lines of a Gwynn. I I really think he has a chance to be that kind of hitter and that kind of player. I agree with you. I mean, and I
0: think you're, I mean, I think you're selling him maybe a little bit short. I I think he's going to have more power than Mark Grace. I think it's at least average big league power. I, I don't see... Why you'd have to keep him at first base? He he definitely runs well enough. You know he's he's come back from Tommy John surgery and he hasn't played much outfield, if any, at, at Carolina. Yeah, he definitely very runs well enough that to, to play on a corner, he doesn't have to be a first base only. There are people who think he could play center field if you gave him the chance. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, I, I really don't see. and Maybe I'm wrong in this, John. But I, I don't see a huge difference to me between Dustin
1: Ackley and Yonder Alonso. Um, he said he's a much better me, athlete you know, know than Rosal. has a little more power. I don't think he has a ton more power than Dustin. And
0: to me, I mean, in a draft where nothing's really sure, I would look long and hard at Ackley as the number two overall pick in the draft. I, I think he's going to be just fine. You know, maybe he won't hit you thirty homers in the big league season, but I think he's going to hit you twenty with a with a very good batting average and a very good on base percentage. And I think he's going to give you very very good offensive production from first base. Maybe you know, the, the numbers will be distributed in different categories a little bit more than your typical first baseman, but I, I just don't see how that guy can miss.
1: I don't either. Um, I also don't see Grant Green missing, but uh, Grant Green is not having a good spring, Jim. And uh, what, what's your take on kind of the draftitis that has enveloped uh, Grant Green, the shortstop at the University of uh, Southern California?
0: You know, I think Greg Green's going to wind up being a great pick for someone. I think he's a guy who could fall somewhat significantly in the draft. He's only hit three home runs. You know, power's supposed to be one of his tools, and scouts haven't liked that. He also, I think he's made 16 errors or, or 13 errors. You know, he's been a little erratic in the field, which is something that's, that's been true of him throughout his career at Southern California. But that guy was so good on the Cape Cod League last year that, I, you know, sometimes when we do our, our Cape stuff, during the summer, I mean, we know guys are good, and I knew Grant Green was good, and I thought, and the scouts surprised me even with how much they liked him. I mean, they were comparing him to, to Troy Tulowitzki, which, you know, Troy's not off to a great start this year, and they are also comparing him to Evan Longoria, and I was like, really? I mean, Longoria's bat is a very, very special bat, and they're like, no, I mean, he's, he's got, you know, I had multiple scouts say... You know, you you take Longoria's bat over Green's, but that's not a bad comp. I mean, the guys were throwing that out there, which just kind of floored me. Longoria was another guy who starred on the Cape. Um, And I just think what's going to happen is, I mean, he's 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 represented by Scott Boris, so it's not like you're going to take Grant Green. I I don't even know if there's that many teams that would jump up and take him in the top ten right now. Based on the spring he's had, you know, regardless of signability, you add in the fact that you know he's not going to sign for slot if he you know goes at the twelfth overall pick or something. I think Grant Green could be a steal for somebody, maybe even toward the bottom of the first round, who's willing to pay you know premium for Grant Green and go take him. And, and I think it would be a great pick. Uh, I still, I mean, you look at this draft and everybody talks about how there are, there are future things and there's no consensus and. I guess in the back of my mind, if I were drafting, I would remember that cape very well. I think the power is legit. I think he could stay it short. I don't think he's going to be a gold glover, but I think he could be a solid defender. I don't think he's going to be Evan Longoria, but I think he's actually... I think he's probably a better hitter than Troy you know, He doesn't necessarily get to play in Coors Field, but uh, I think that guy could be just a steal for someone.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think he's... I think it's very possible that he could be the second-best player in this draft. I, I would I, I would say Ackley, uh, but then Green's right in that conversation. I know that he's struggling, but uh, to me, I still think Grant Green. Uh, I, I think you know we, we've had a lot of cases of great players who had draftitis, and Ryan Howard is the one who jump, leaps to mind. And Ryan Howard had a bad summer to go with his bad spring the next year, and look how that worked out. I mean, he fell all the way to the sixth round. That's not happening for Grant Green. If it does happen, it'll happen because of the bonus demands, not because of the talent. Uh, It's the Baseball America podcast. He's Jim Callis. I'm John Manuel. Let's take a quick podcast email, Jim. Luke Gude, who emails us pretty much every week, and we really appreciate it, sends in this question. He was looking at how Kansas State ace A.J. Morris uh, went to Humble High, same high school that produced Ryan Barry. Did they pitch together in in the school's rotation in 2006? At what high schools historically have had multiple top draft picks? He recalls Mustakas and Dominguez of Chatsworth coming to mind. Jim, I think my favorite uh, draft high school tidbit this year was Matthew Stafford, the number one overall pick in the NFL draft, who was the center to Clayton Kershaw's quarterback on their high school football team. Or was that the other way around? Kershaw was well, the high school? Kershaw was his yeah. center, and then growing up, uh, Stafford was Kershaw's
0: catcher on a number of uh, youth uh, all-star teams of baseball coming up.
1: That's really neat. I didn't know th- I didn't know the the baseball part of it, but uh obviously you know we've had I think in 1997 was the first draft that I worked at Baseball America and Mike Kadire and John Curtis were drafted out of Great Bridge High in uh in the uh, suburban in the Virginia Beach area and those guys were I think the third pair of teammates uh to go in the first round and 2002 you had Clint Everton uh Scott Casbey at a sci, uh, sci- what high school thats that? Cypress Fair? It, was it Cy Fair? Yeah, I think or Cypress, Cypress Fair Falls. Banks. I think they're Cypress Cy- Falls, actually.
0: No, you're right. We're confusing high schools. I yeah,
1: there's right Cy Fair Cypress and Falls. Cy Fall. I think they were Cy Fall, but they were high school teammates as well uh, who were driving in the first round. And then there's been plenty of college ones. Of course, you had the three Rice pitchers going in 2004. Just last year, you had Reese Havens and uh, Justin Smoke, and then you had Miami with three first-rounders last year. Uh, and how many did Arizona State have with Ike Davis and uh, Brett Wallace? Was there anybody else?
0: No, and you had Arizona had both uh, Ryan Perry and Daniel
1: Slareth. And That's the right. Another high school pair from a couple years ago was
0: Billy Butler and Eric Hurley. That's out right. of uh, high school down in the
1: Jacksonville area. Yeah, Wolfs, so. Wolfson High in Jacksonville. So it does happen from time to time. Where A.J. Morris uh, – well, let's talk about the other part of this. is What kind of uh, draft prospect has A.J. Morris turned himself into this year? Considering he's uh, undefeated, he's basically won every start. He's been uh, so money, really, on Friday nights for uh, Kansas State. I think he's so money and he doesn't even know it.
0: Well, neither of, of those guys was a big-time prospect out of uh, college. I mean, they are both recruited by good programs, you know, Rice and, and Kansas State. But, uh, you know, they were they certainly weren't, you know, Everts and Casimir or, or you know, anything like that. But, uh, you know, now, you know, this year... You know, Morris is. Morris has had you know a tremendous, you know, one of the best seasons this side of uh, Steven Strasburg. And really, what he does, he pitches in the low nineties, at your knees on both sides of the plate. Um, most guys have seen him in the Big Twelve, have really liked the slider. I, I, I talked to a coach today who thought it was more of just a, a decent slider than a plus. But I think most guys would tell you it's a plus. You know, he's he's six two, you know, six one or six two, so he's not. You know, if you were drawing up the blueprint, maybe you'd want him a little a little higher. You know, scouts have been disappointed. They have it He really doesn't throw a changeup because he doesn't need one. I mean, he, he commands his slider and his fastball so well that he's carved up, you know, very good competition with both those pitches. I think because of the fact that he's not, you know, he, he's a little undersized. You know, he's not small, but he's a little undersized by pro standards he hasn't shown that change up. You're not really hearing him as a first rounder sandwich pick. I think he's more of a second or third rounder. Um, and then Ryan Barry, who just got back on the mound the other night after missing five or six weeks at Rice with uh, with a strain of a, a muscle under his collarbone. Um, and you know, we could go we could go on and on about, you know, the unfortunate medical history of, of Rice, you know, premier pitchers. You know, he was the guy who before he got hurt was on hot he was as hot as anybody, you know, even Strasburg at, in the season. I think he had, what, three straight complete games, John, where he gave up a
1: total of, I think, four hits or five hits. Yeah, he was unbelievable. Um, he was out of his gourd in February and March. You know, but his stuff isn't spectacular.
0: You know, it's a solid fastball, and he he throws four pitches. You know, his knuckle curves a plus pitch. I mean, he was a guy who was pitching his way into the first round. Now, I, I think it's just too early to tell. He, he pitched one inning the other night. He's going to, I think, try to make a start this weekend. Yeah, I don't think he was really a first round stuff guy, and when you throw in the medical now, I don't think he's going to be a first round guy. But if he gets back anywhere close to where he was, yeah, he's probably in that second to fourth round range too. I think as we uh, you know get closer to the draft, but he's going to be a guy. You know, guys are going to have to see. And, and again, that Rice medical history scares some clubs.
1: Well, you're doing the Midwest, obviously. I'm doing the Southeast this year, Jim. I, I think it's fair to say the strength in the Southeast uh, this year is probably going to be college pitching. I don't have Kentucky, but if I'm uh, talking to a lot of scouts about like uh, North Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, you end up getting uh, some guys who also have Kentucky coverage in there. When you factor in those states and Georgia, uh, there are a lot of college pitchers in those areas who are pushing their way into the first round. Uh, besides just Alex White at North Carolina, uh, you're talking about uh, you know the left-handers in the SEC like James Paxton at, at Kentucky, who's pitching the night on Friday. Uh, to my understanding, James Paxton does not have an advisor like, as of yet, so he's auditioning advisors this weekend. So I think if you're going to go to the Kentucky game tonight, you're going to see every advisor who thinks they're in play for James Paxton is going to be in town tonight, so uh, that might be kind of fun. If you're a Baseball America photographer and you want to go take pictures of these guys, that'd be helpful. But uh, I think they're all going to be there to see Paxton tonight. He's a unique case. He's a Canadian. He doesn't turn 21 until November. Uh, he's shown 97 mile an hour velocity. You've got other arm strength lefty in Rex Brothers. You got other arm strength lefty in Brian Morgado, who's now you know touching 97 on a Tennessee's bullpen. You got Nick Hernandez, more of a touch and feel lefty at, uh, at Tennessee. You have a better version of Nick Hernandez and Mike Minor at Vanderbilt. So you've got all kinds of lefties. Uh, then you go down looking for college right-handers, and frankly, you don't really even look in the SEC beyond Sam Dyson, Jim. You look at you look at uh, Kennesaw State, you look at, uh, you look at Kyle Heckathorn, and you look at Chad Jenkins. I don't know if you saw the blog post on Monday on the college blog. Chad Jenkins at Kennesaw has done 35 and a third scoreless innings. He had an 18-inning walkless streak. So he is uh, kind of a John Manuel favorite here as a guy who commands the fastball uh, at 90 to 92. Uh, some days he's 90 to 93. He's starting to show an average to plus slider with some consistency. This guy could go. This is a guy who was kind of believed to be a sixth to eighth rounder coming into the year, a soft-bodied, pretty good college right-hander who came coming off a good but not great summer in the Great Lakes League, and now this is a guy who's pushing his way into the supplemental round at the least, and potentially into the back of the first round. So, it is it's really a college pitcher-heavy year in the southeast with a sprinkling of hitters, uh, most of them really being high school kids in North Carolina. Uh, or maybe a guy here or there in Tennessee or Georgia. But honestly, Jim Donovan Tate's stock, I think he's the Grant Green corollary on the high school side in the southeast. Uh, his stock has fallen somewhat. He's just not hitting, uh, not showing a tremendous feel for hitting this spring. He's got a football commitment. And I think the big riser in the southeast on the offensive side has been Will Myers, the high school catcher in North Carolina. So, uh, and, and he was only helped, I think, the other day by Luke Bailey, uh, the high school hitter, a uh, catcher in Georgia, who went down with an elbow injury and looks like he's having Tommy John surgery. Uh, who were some of the pop up? I guess? What's the what's the strength of the Midwest region as you uh, get deeper and deeper into the calls?
0: Well, I think it's the same thing. I mean, I think we're looking at, at pitchers and, and not just college pitchers. I mean, I was talking, again, I was talking to Scounder right before I came on here, and he was talking about how, you know, another thing that's going to add to the unpredictability of this draft is that a lot of the best players seem to be high school pitchers. Um, and teams don't necessarily like to draft high school pitchers that high. I think we had one last year. I think the only high school pitcher, yeah, Ethan if Martin. I remember correctly, one of the first twenty picks was Ethan Martin. Yep. And this year, the guy was saying you got five high school right-handers who could go in the top twenty picks based on talent. It was Zach Wheeler, uh, Madison Youngner, Jacob Turner, Shelby Miller, and Matt Hobgood. And that's not even talking about you know the, the best high school pitcher in the country is probably Tyler Massick, a lefty. Right. Yeah, he was a and then got another lefty you know, Matt Perk in Texas. So I mean there's seven guys who are probably top twenty caliber talents as high school arms, in addition to all the college pitchers. Um so it's gonna be really interesting to see where those those guys go. And uh, you know to touch on Tate for a second, you know, he's gonna be another guy who's tough to figure too. I mean he's he's made noise about playing football. He's got Scott Boris as an agent. He's a tremendous athlete. You know, he's been our top high school position player since we've been ranking this high school draft class. But, I mean, you talk to guys, and I, I, I'm sure you've heard some of this. I mean, we saw where at the Rickley game, the Under Armour Classic, last summer. Yep. You know, because he's been a two-sport guy, he hasn't gotten a boatload of at-bats. He's never been a full-time baseball
1: guy. He didn't look real good. I can't remember the kid's name. But didn't the little Jake Canadian lefty? Yep, Jake Eliopoulos. He was silly with some
0: breaking stuff late. So, um, I mean, he's a tremendous athlete, but I don't think that's a bat that's going to come right in. And, you know, it's not like a you know, Jason Hayward bat with the Braves. Or the guys going to come in and just punish pro pitching as soon as he signs? So there's a little risk there too, but uh, you know, getting back to the Midwest, I mean, it's. I think we're basically talking, you know, college pitching. I mean, the other day we we're, we're having a you know we were talking and we had our meeting on you know one of our draft planning meetings. Okay, you know, I think uh, somebody asked me, you know, Jim, which of your states are you know your your strong states? You know, which of your states are better than average this year? And I'd say none of them. Uh, and compared to what they usually are, I mean, Texas is strong like it usually is, but, I mean, there really aren't that many hitters around. I mean, yeah, I've got guys like Kyle Gibson. You know, Andy Oliver at Oklahoma has been up and down. Uh, you know, Kendall Voles has been a little bit down at, at Baylor. You know, Alex Wilson and, and Brooks Raley might push into the first round. There's two more college pitchers at, at Texas schools. You know, at, at Indiana, you know, I think the guys that came in with the biggest uh, – Pete in the state come in the year where where AJ Pollock and Josh Fagley as position guys, but right now I think the top pick looks like it's Eric Arnett, uh, a right-hander in Indiana who's thrown really hard, kind of come out of the blue, and another guy who's kind of on the rise, uh, you know, another college pitcher is Aaron Miller at Baylor, who guys looked at as more of an outfielder, but he's he's thrown up a lot of ninety-three to ninety-fives as Baylor's number two starter this year. And He's left-handed, hard slider as well, and he's a lefty. And he's athletic because, I mean, as a right fielder, he'd probably be a third- to fifth-round type. Uh, another guy who, who's one of the more impressive guys in Texas is is another right-hander, Victor Black from Dallas Baptist. You know, I can go on and on about college pitchers in the Midwest and, you know, you know high school guys. I mentioned Shelby Miller and Matt Perk already in Texas. I mean, I've got some high school pitchers too, Jacob Turner's in Missouri. But when you're talking about position players, there just are not a lot of them.
1: Uh, yeah I'll tell you the states the only states I have that seem that like they're way above average. Florida sounds like it's at its usual level, maybe a tick above, although to me the I have a hard time saying it's above average. I hear it has great depth, but the fact that Florida, Florida State, and Miami really don't have a whole lot of premium talent, you know Miami's got Kyle Bellamy, their closer who could go pretty good, even though he's a side armor he's had you know he's shown really good stuff. Uh, but Ryan Jackson, one of the drafts, I'd say big enigmas, but I'd say one of the biggest disappointments is a guy who just isn't hitting at all. And if he just had hit with any authority, even with a metal bat, I think the guy would have been a first round pick this year. Uh, you know, but right now he's like a poor man's Adam Everett. I mean, Adam Everett was a first round pick, but this guy's not Adam Everett defensively, and he's not Adam Everett offensively. And that's he's he's closer defensively, and that's that's kind of sad. You know, when you really think about it, offensively. And I like Adam Everett. But uh, Florida State, Miami, and Florida, uh, you know, I guess Matt Dendecker is probably the top prospect at any of those schools. And uh, he may be a supplemental first-rounder. And then time talking about, again, Miami last year produced three first-rounders. Florida State produced a catcher who, you know, broke the draft bonus record. So it's hard for me to say, I know Florida has depth, but it does not have the top-end college talent that you're accustomed to in the state of Florida. Uh, I'd say the states that are above average this year are North and South Carolina. South Carolina is not at the same level at the college level. Uh, you do have some arms between Clemson and South Carolina with Garrett, uh, with Graham Stoneburner, Chris Dwyer, and then Sam Dyson. But North Carolina is really, I think, kind of where it's at. On the college side, you have uh, White and Hackley. North Carolina has two other guys who are in play in the first, uh, the, the first day of the draft, the first three rounds with Kyle Seeger and Mark Fleury. Uh, the second baseman and the, and the catcher, actually the third baseman and the catcher, and then the other thing, Jim, is you've got just again high school talent in North and South Carolina. Uh, South Carolina's got lots of projectable arms, and uh, you already mentioned Younginger. I mean, he's probably the, I mean, he's the top of the crop. And then uh, you know, North Carolina's got Will Myers, you got Brian Goodwin, uh, you got the kid out at Waynesville Tuscola uh, Stubbs, uh, who's getting a lot of helium right now. So uh, it's North and South Carolina are actually two of the states. That are probably as strong as uh, they've been. North Carolina not going to produce a high school number one pick like it did twice in the '90s with Brian Taylor and uh, and Josh Hamilton, but it's a strong year here in the old North State. So, uh, and then of course up in your way, Jim, up in Illinois, uh, your top prospect uh, didn't even get to pitch uh, Ian Kroll. So.
0: Yeah, no, no, I'm not even sure he would have been the top guy. I think the top high school kid is probably a, a right hander who's more physical than Ian Kroll, who's a, a six foot one lefty. There's a kid named Tanner Bushu who's a great name. Athletic kid, six foot four, right hander, uh, at South Central High School. He's committed to John A. Logan community college. He uh, you know, had a little bit of a knee issue I think for basketball, but he's low nineties, you know, more of a, a project, not a, a finished guy. But uh, I think even if Kroll had pitched this spring, uh, Bushy was probably the guy who, who would have been drafted ahead of him, and, and Ben regarded is a little bit better prospect, uh, even if they were both going head-to-head.
1: Are you sure you just didn't say that just so you could say Bushy repeatedly? No, no,
0: no. It's, uh, it's, uh, I, I think you, you talk to scouts, I'll tell you the same thing. I mean, Kroll's good, but he's more of a like 88-91, to you not a real physical lefty with a, a good curveball and some polish to him in terms of, you know, physical talent, Bushy's, you know, got more, and more in there than, than Kroll does, I think.
1: Well, the Washington Nationals are on the clock. The Mariners, Padres, Pirates, and Orioles to follow, with the Giants, Braves, Reds, Tigers, and Nationals running out the top ten. That's going to be a pretty fascinating top ten when you have all these Boris clients, you have this kind of volatility, you have this economy. Really, none of those teams I just mentioned should be considered large market clubs, right, Jim? I mean... None of those clubs really regularly go way over slot. Even the Tigers have backed off that in the last two years. I, I mean, think Seattle's
0: got some money, but, you know, I mean, again, they're now run by Jack Sorensic, who was the most closed-lipped scouting director probably when it came to trying to figure out who they were going to pick when he was running Brewers drafts. So, I mean, it's very possible we'll go in, you know, the drafts at, at 6 p.m. Eastern, it kicks off 6 p.m. Eastern on the 9th of June. Well, you know, we may go in that draft, have no idea really who's going number two. Uh, you know, just by the the just the all the uncertainty, and then Seattle just kind of, you know, that front office is going to keep a tight lid tight lid
1: on things, and we're we're just not going to know. I think you're right, and there's a very strong possibility that that's going to happen. And you you really and don't get you don't really start getting into your really big time big market teams in my mind until I mean uh, you start getting down into the twenties. where the where you know it's going to be fascinating. Also, Jim, we have several teams this year with multiple picks in the first round. The Nationals two in the first ten picks is. Obviously, novel and unique, and the first time that's ever happened. The Diamondbacks picking back to back at 16 and 17. The Angels going back to back at 24 and 25. I mean, uh, the Mariners have a second pick in the first round, down at 27. I've mean, I just never seen uh, two teams back to back in the first round. I mean, that's, that is that uh, is wild and crazy and almost terrible. I, I've never well, seen that. You know, the other thing is, too, I mean, we just don't know if teams, how, you
0: know, I don't think it would necessarily be an order that would come down from MLB like it did a couple of years ago, like, you know, You know, stick to slot or, you know, we're going to rain down on you in any way we can. But I do think, uh, I mean, it's a simple fact. I mean, you don't get an immediate return from the draft. And we've seen time and time again, if owners have a ready-made excuse to not spend money on the draft or or not go, you know, spend extra money on the draft, they'll take it. And I think we may see some guys fall. You know, you mentioned Donovan Tate. I mean, he's a Boris guy. He's got leverage as a two-sport guy. He's not having a great spring. He's not going to be a guy who's going to tell you, oh, yeah, I'll sign for slot anywhere in the first round. Exactly. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Donovan Tate falls to the bottom of the first round to a wealthy club that's willing to meet his price. Um, you know, We mentioned that before about Grant Green. Green. Um, you know, It could come into play on a lot of these other guys. I mean, show, uh, Crow and Shepherds, I think, are going to be guys who, if they show you you know what they can show you, and Shepherds has looked very good in some public workouts out in California already. So he looks very healthy. They're both guys who are going to command that typical, you know, five million dollar plus major league contract that the top college pitchers seem to get every year. Well, you know that could take some people out of play too at the top. So it could be, it could be very very interesting to see what happens with these guys.
1: Well, it always is. We always love the draft. Uh, Jimmy, you've been covering the draft for what twenty years now, basically. Yeah, Ben McDonald on. in '89
0: was my first one, really. So that is
1: crazy. And uh, like and I said, he was
0: probably—you know—we've talked about this. I mean, he was probably the most clear-cut number one, and the biggest gap between him and the number two guy since I've been working at Baseball America. I mean, there's there have been other great prospects, but you know, David Price had Matt Weeders and Mark Pryor, Mark Teixeira, and Joe Mauer were all in the same draft, but it really has been that long uh since we've had this situation and you know unlike Strasburg McDonald was a guy who pitched on the Olympic team and looked spectacular and, and guys were saying a full year before the draft he's going to be the number one guy and he was
1: and I mean who I mean was there anybody else even I mean like anyone else even close to him the rest of that first round yeah other than Frank Thomas that was kind of an ugly first round wasn't it
0: well, even Frank Thomas, people thought Frank Thomas was a bad pick. I mean, the White Sox and Al yeah, ask Al Golas Al Golis will, will quickly tell you how much, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I was trying to clean up my, my vocabulary there. I don't know what the podcast and the FCC regulations that uh, I guess I, I used use the word grief. Al Golis took a lot of grief for taking Frank Thomas, I think, with the seventh overall pick. guys thought he was this kind of big, stiff guy and, you know, it wasn't going to work out, you know. Uh, And we're wrong. But no, Tyler Houston actually was the number two guy, and and until uh, McDonald and John Ulrich signed uh, late in the summer, and uh, Ulrich would have been maybe close to McDonald, but he had an aneurysm that basically wiped out most of his season and took him out of play. Um, And when he was thought to be, he told teams not to draft him, and and the Blue Jays did anyway and worked on him. But Tyler Houston went number two, the Braves, and until McDonald signed, Tyler Houston actually received. The highest bonus in draft history at that point, which was I think three hundred fifty thousand or something thereabouts, wow. and uh, you know McDonald wound up. It was like a, a shocking bonus at the time. Both McDonald and Olrude signed for bonuses of you know five hundred or five hundred fifty thousand, and major league deals that took their their total package worth close to a million, which at the time was just you know stunning money. And you know you know and another thing you know Ben McDonald has in in, in common with Steven Strasburg uh Both represented by Scott Boris, and uh, I think at the time, you know, the, I don't think Strasburg's going to get fifty million, but you know, there are rumors that that's what Boris and Strasburg are looking for, which would be almost five times a previous record. uh McDonald's deal was worth roughly five times a previous record, although it was on a much, you know, it was one tenth the scale we're talking about now.
1: I wonder if that's where the fifty million dollar number just came. I mean, you're trying to look for. A- where did that number get pulled out of the ether? I wonder if that's where it got you know, I think
0: it comes from the Matsuzaka contract.
1: Yeah, I again, I mean that's apples and oranges.
0: It's not a similar situation. So
1: it's but, uh, you know Matsuzaka signed for I think fifty two
0: million or, or fifty two and some change, and I, I think that's you know Matsuzaka's a boss guy too, and I think Scott will try to set that as a market, and you know again it's apples and oranges. You know I mean I'd probably try the same thing if I were Scott got uh, barking puppies here in the
1: background now. That's okay. Uh, We're signing off uh, anyway, yours, so that's okay. But,
0: uh, but you know, I'm sure Scott will cite that, and I'm sure the team, whatever team drafts them, which will probably be the Nationals, will say it's not the same thing. You know, you can say whatever you want.
1: Well, now I think everyone knows what it's like when a scout calls your house, uh, although there haven't been any screaming kids in the background, so so that's been no, good. No, just uh, more and more puppies this time of year. Just just the, just the puppies and the <laughs> and the fax machine and all that kind of stuff. But that's what makes it so fun. I think people love, uh, honestly, as much as scouts don't want to talk, I've only gotten one really rude, difficult scout all spring. And uh, they're told not to talk, but you know what? People love to talk baseball. And as we just show with a close to 40-minute podcast, there's a ton to talk about with this year's draft. So, Jim, we will be back with another podcast later on uh, in the month of May. But thanks for taking the time out of your schedule and uh, thanks to everyone for downloading it and for taking a listen here to the Baseball Amer- America podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter, Baseball America, our Twitter page, twitter.com backslash Baseball America, and send those questions to us at podcast at com. For Jim Callis, I'm John Manuel. Until next time, so long everybody.